0: Welcome to this Verb Readers and Writers Festival event. I'm Jane Arthur, and I'm delighted to introduce Kyle Mewburn, popular and celebrated writer of over 40 books for children, including Kiss Kiss Yuck Yuck and Old Hoo Hoo, which won Children's Book of the Year in 2010. She's been the children's writer in residence at the University of Otago and is a past president of the New Zealand Society of Authors. She grew up in Australia and now lives with her wife, Marian, in Miller's flat in central Otago. Today, we'll be discussing Kyle's first book for adults, a frank, generous, and moving memoir called Faking It, My Life in Transition, which has been described by reviewer Kiran Das as spirited and triumphant. Welcome, Kyle.
1: Nice to be here.
0: (laughs) I thought we'd start by asking you to tell us how life has been since Faking It came out in May this year. What's the reception been like?
1: Um, It's been surprisingly wonderful. I haven't had any complaints. Um, The the local community, uh, you know, I live in a small valley in central Otago, farming, orcharding. And I, that was one of my – when I first mentioned to a friend, local friend, that I, was, um, that I was trans and I was coming out, she went, oh, no, you'll have to leave the valley. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, no, maybe not. And um, so that was the only time, and we did, did imagine for a while that it was going to be locally we might have issues, but everyone has been amazing. There's only one – there's only two people we know who have been, had issues with me. One guy got up in the pub recently, and suddenly went after a few drinks, and said, "This whole valley has been taken over by gays and lesbians and whatnots. We need to have a meeting, a ratepayers' meeting, to figure out how to get rid of them." And I thought, well, as a whatnot and a ratepayer, uh, (laughs) but but anyway, but yeah, but but in a wider community, it's all. I mean, sometimes a bit sort of. reluctant to sort of embrace it too much because you think I'm in a bubble and New Zealand feels like a bubble but you think you hear about stories that once you get out of this sort of nice lovely welcoming people there are people out there who are quite um anti and so I haven't really stepped into those circles so I'm a bit worried about answering the question it's not a sort of wholehearted the whole world has embraced me so yeah it 's been wonderful i mean yeah Marian and I my wife have been she said it 's um the best relationship we 've had um she 's got her best friend and her wife, and um yeah so it 's all perfect
0: i 'm so happy that 's how it 's been for you, really. Um, can I now ask you to read to us oh,
1: I can yeah uh, I thought i 'd read um a section about coming out to my family, and if you read my book um I'm not necessarily close to my family. And, um, yeah, I'll read a little bit. It's it's chapter 10 called Pleasant Outings. I wrote a long email to my three siblings explaining my decision. I assumed my sister, Rainy would be accepting. I wasn't quite as confident about my brother's response. It would be a good litmus test. Not all trans women come out. Some just move away, abandoning, abandoning their old life to begin a new one someplace else. It's an appealing idea. I'd compl- contemplated it myself in my darkest moments when courage failed me and coming out seemed a mountain too high to climb. But in the grim light of day, the thought of starting a new life, giving up everything I'd built, seemed even scarier. With Marion by my side, I was ready to face anything. My surgery was booked, nothing was going to deter me from my course. Having already come out to a few close friends and receiving nothing but love and support in return, revealing my truth to the wider world wasn't as terrifying as it once seemed. In fact, I no longer cared what anyone else thought about me or my decision. Well, that's what I tried to tell myself. So why were my hands shaking and my mouth so dry as I hit send? David, who's my brother, replied immediately, His email was so heartfelt and supportive it was difficult to read through my veil of unexpected tears. It ended, ''It's a very courageous thing that you're doing and I'm very proud of you.'' We've never been a demonstrative family, especially not when it comes to expressing any affection. So I was completely bowled over by this simple statement. By the time Rainey's email arrived, I was a blubbering wreck. The only one who didn't reply was my eldest brother, Cameron. When there was still no response a week later... We assumed he and his wife, Ryoko, had decided to sever contact with us. I was sanguine about it. We'd never been especially close. After all the outpourings of love, I felt weirdly positive about it. Losing only one brother seemed like a pretty good return given the high stakes involved. So it came as a surprise when they turned up at our 30th anniversary dinner a few weeks later with a bunch of flowers. They were obviously uncomfortable and quickly made their excuses. As I hugged my brother farewell, he stated in rather gruff tones, Just don't expect me to kiss you on the lips now. <laughs> Strangely, the thought had never entered my head. <laughs> I left my mother until the end. I'd been avoiding it because she doesn't do email or internet, so I'd have to call her. I guess she deserved that courtesy too. After a nomadic life, she'd end up in Imble, a rural two-horse town in Queensland's Sunshine Coast hinterland. The previous year, Darryl, her partner of 30 years, had died of complications from about a swine flu. So the story goes. He was only a couple of years older than my brother, Cameron, so she'd never expected to wind up alone in a small unit living off her pension. I wasted little time on niceties. Mum, I've got to tell you something. I'm transgender. Pause. So you like wearing women's clothes? Um, yes, but not like that. I've always been a woman. I should have been born a girl. Ah, right. Okay. My new car's going good. <laughs> I gave her a mental shrug and allowed the conversation to resume its normal course. She obviously needed time to process it. In the meantime, she did have a new car, and it was indeed going good. <laughs> the next time we talked, she greeted me with... Hello, sweet pea. Sweet pea? I asked, amused. You've never called me sweet pea before. You've never been my daughter before, she replied, making me blush. I didn't tell my father. He hadn't spoken to me for over 10 years.
0: Thank you, sweet pea.
1: (laughs) Yeah, she always insists on doing it now. She goes, oh, oh, shit, I've almost forgot. Sweet pea. Goodbye, sweet pea. You know,
0: <laughs> How's her car going?
1: <laughs> it's going well. Going well.
0: Great. Um, for many writers of memoir, there's often an ethical conundrum regarding writing about other people, especially if they're still alive. What was your approach to this? Uh, my
1: approach was that I don't owe them anything. I didn't feel like my family had, had really given me much in my life. And I actually set out to write my story and they're just sort of transitory sort of characters in it and I wasn't going to throw them under the the bus and I actually went out of my way to make sure and I'm, I'm, I didn't go out of my way. Actually, I feel very sympathetic towards my father and my mother. I've sort of come to understand her relationships and her life and, and so I, I felt like I'm not going to share anything beyond what impacts on me. Because this guy, when I um, first came out, my friend who, from the village, he, he came over and told us about this story. He was in the pub and this guy, this third-generation farmer, came over and said, this thing about your friend up the road, is it true? And our friend said, yep. And he went, good on him. And I thought, cool, that's unexpected. And he's really rough-as-guts guy, you know, he's just the most rough... And then um, when he saw me first, when after I came back from Argentina, and he, he, he suddenly went, "You look gorgeous, mate." And I thought, "Oh, cool. He's all supportive." <laughs> and then when I was in the pub one, we were at a do, and we were listening to music, and we had all our friends there, and he came over and sat beside me, put his arm around my shoulder, and I was like, "Okay, <laughs> he's been supportive." And then, But then he just started telling me stuff which I didn't know whether I had a right to put in the book, so I left it out.
0: And I guess it's like what Charlotte Grimshaw said about how writing her story was a matter of survival. Mm, Totally. And and if you look at it like that, then you can't take the people out of your life that have been important to you and and still write your life story. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, that brings us nicely to... Your wife, um, the dedication altogether. In, <laughs> um. The dedication and faking it reads for Marion, obviously. What does her support look like to you, with regards to both your writing career and your transition?
1: Oh, we're just um, you. You know, you read about soulmates and that sort of thing, and you don't really, and you believe it, think about fate. And fate's sort of a, a, a concept is like hard to really take seriously but when you imagine the all the inter- interconnected events which led us to meet at in ireland at that one time and she's from germany i'm from brisbane originally and we met in ireland and the things that brought us together and of course then then it's sort of and even when i was younger i actually sort of thought it was fate in that case i then sort of Basically, almost let her slip away because I was thinking it was fate and we're supposed to be together. But reality is like you have to keep working on it constantly. So um, she's just, um, no, she's, um, she's said it's the best relationship she's had. And it's all, I mean, we've been always, I mean, from the first moment we got together, we got it together and I lived in Germany and moved in with her. And, and all her friends were saying, This is a holiday romance. And I think they obviously didn't know me. I had no romances up at all up to that point. So they said, not an no, Australian, it's a holiday fling, be gone. And then we stayed, and but from the first moment, basically, we combined our bank accounts. We knew it from the first moment that we were destined to be together. And um, and we have managed for 36 years now. Oh, she's just got the biggest heart of any person I've ever met. She's just, which has its downsides, of course, because all these damaged people come to us and turn up at the door. And I mean, we had, since I came out, I've had, um, I had, I um, had, Jean, um Jean from Gore turn up. It was Jim until last six months ago. And her and her wife died. And Jim, the dairy farmer, decided, to, now's the time. She's 75 years old. Turned up out of door. And um and then Brian just goes, You shouldn't be wearing that outfit. Let me give you some advice on outfits. And then sat down and um And written this story and wanted to show me. And I said, I don't want to read your story, sorry. (laughs) And Marion reads it and it's all like, oh, and I think, oh, Jesus. Yeah, she's um, amazing.
0: Okay, moving back a few years. After high school, you studied journalism and advertising, but you didn't last long as a journalist because you didn't like writing the truth. No. And you found research boring. Yeah. How was it then to write your own true story? Um, it
1: required no research. I, I was a, my first job out of university was a sports reporter on a country town newspaper. With uh, the biggest sports event was a five team rugby league competition, and it was like each team had a retired NRL player on it, and who was the superstar, and they would just run into each other. On the what the Fords were all big farmer guys, and the wings and the other guys were the younger guys and. And that was my first work of fiction. I was writing sports reporting, and it fi- sports is fiction. I made it into the Battle of the Titans, and they were leaping and pounding and all these. And um, people turned up at the games. More people started coming and saying, "We didn't know it was such good, so good." This competition I went. It's not my writing. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so um, I don't. Yeah, fiction. It's even my, even my memoir is fiction. This stuff happened in my life, which i think happened my parents or my siblings might think otherwise they'd have a different version of it but but how i felt and what i how it impacted on me it's all made up in a way not i don't intentionally make it up i was trying to get to the truth and trying to get to the real you know the nitty gritty of every moment in my life and what it meant but whether it's true or not so yeah it's all so I don't get caught up in the notion of the difference between fiction and... I mean, real life's never been very good for me, so <laughs> I'd rather live in my world, thanks.
0: Compared with your children's straight fiction, yeah. how, how was the sort of editing and publishing process like when it was all about you this time? Was yeah, that weird?
1: Yeah, it's interesting when other people... You know, I mean, when I've I've... I wrote a blog-ish thing on Facebook when I first came out and followed it through till after I came back from surgery and that's how the publisher from Penguin, um, Claire, she rang me up one day and said, you probably already signed a contract but I'd like to ask you to do your memoir. And Have you ever thought about it? And I went, nobody signed me up. No one's expressed any interest. Yes, I would like to do my memoir. And um, I went, okay. So she said, you can't be just about you because you're not famous. So has to be about... So I tried to get more... My first draft was about philosophy and gender, politics, gender... ...and and trying to broaden. I was even thinking about talking to other trans women... ...and I contacted a few from different um, eras. And it was all ready to go. And I wrote the first draft and then they read it and went... ...actually, could you write your story? So then it was all about... ...and then it's about sort of reading it through... ...and them someone else deciding what's interesting... Because I just put my whole life, and it was sort of twice the size originally.
0: Yeah, had to construct a narrative of your life. Totally. Yeah, instead of inventing a narrative for a fictional story. Yep. Yeah. It struck me reading the book that you always knew who you were from a young age, but there's a sense that you never seriously imagined it would be possible to be her. Um, can you explain how you realised it could be possible?
1: Yeah, I mean, i come from a, you know, growing up in the 60s is bad enough, a binary world, and then you add Queensland into it. <laughs> and Queensland in the 60s, 70s is just, even now, it's just, you know, I mean, being gay was illegal in Queensland until I think 2004 or something, and um, Tasmania probably still is. But um, just that, I grew up in that idea that I was... It was just something beyond, you know, if someone would have said I'm going to live on Mars by the time I'm 50, I would have been, okay, that's possible. I can see that. But to break down this binary world, I always look on it as, in retrospect, I feel like it was, it's was it been a good thing in terms of I was running to keep ahead of my this voice in the back of my head saying, this is not you, this is not you, my whole life. So I kept moving and I kept and I achieved a lot because I was determined to try to sort of outrun myself and so I so I did a lot of traveling I did all sorts of stuff I built my own house I um, tried to make a life for myself I started writing and it's all about creating a life big enough to basically like I wanted to create a big pillow to put this over this voice and go shut up shut up you're not going to come out stop it and then eventually it was um just beca- kept coming and I couldn't, you know, and, and the moment that it came, because I was really happy with my life at one level and I thought, well, you know, you can't have everything. Who am I to expect to have, you know, live out my reality? Because, I mean, who gets to do that if it's a different, if it's reality which is over here? And so I kept, um, but then one day Marion had an affair because I kept pushing her away. But at a deep level it was like she deserves better. She told me about it and we had a moment of, of you know, discussing it and then she decided, um, no, we decided that we're going to stay together. And then the next morning I woke up and thought maybe this is her time, maybe this is her out and I can't keep her with me without telling her. So I did. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. so um, that was the biggest moment, yeah.
0: So that was, like, that was like an imperative act of survival for you and totally. for your relationship yeah. to that honesty.
1: Yeah, yeah. either basically we either go forward in full honesty or we go our separate ways. And part of me all up to that moment was like saying, you know, almost if she wasn't here, I could do it because I wouldn't have anyone else in my life. Anyway. It
0: turned out so well though, didn't it? It did. It's um and your relationship thank you with Marion from that point yep. was closer and truer than it had ever been. Totally. Yeah, yeah I told amazing. her and she just
1: went she, I mean when I was I woke up the next morning and I was just pacing thinking I have to tell her, I have to tell her, but this was like the worst thing ever to jump off a cliff. It wasn't even a cliff, it was like plunging into crocodiles. And I just felt, I have to tell her, I have to tell her. And then she got up and was going, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I went – and literally my mouth was just refused to function. I was just like <laughs> – and then finally I blurted it out and she went, oh, I thought you were going to die. <laughs> she, she thought I was keeping some – and, I, I mean, over the years she has said at some point that um, she, um, her friends kept saying, you know, she always said amazing things about me and her friends would go, oh, no, it can't be that – Perfect. And she said, well, either Kyle's perfect or it's got very, some dark secret. <laughs> and it's not so dark in the end.
0: Um, you write beautifully throughout the book about the tension of knowing who you were and feeling like a fake boy, mm-hmm. but also feeling that passing as a woman, a cis woman, was an impossible goal. Your realisation that transitioning was less about passing and more about becoming yourself is incredibly powerful. How much did the act of writing your story help you realise this?
1: Again, it comes back to the binary thing because over I was over here trying to be a bloke. I mean, I was never a bloke. I actually freaked out blokes mostly. I would just look at them. Talk. They'd be telling a story and i just look at them smiling and they go, what are you looking at? I'm just t- looking at your story. I'm just trying to be... Uh, sorry. And I never got along with blokes either. And um, But I was trying to be as far that way as possible. And then, But, of course, you think, well... And I slowly managed in the last 20 years to push over towards the middle. And if you imagine sort of two paddocks... This is a you know, rural analogy here. If you imagine two paddocks and there's... You sort of feel like there's a fence in the middle. And I thought, well... If I jump over that fence, I'll head over to that side with all the other sheep. <laughs> and, um, and then I'm standing on the other paddock going, do I want to go all the way over there? And where am I? And it was only, it was during the writing of the book and suddenly I was thinking, you know, and I was living my life at the time and you sort of imagine I'm going to go teetering over there and and hang out with all the other <laughs> And and then once I was there, at least this point, I felt it's my decision. How far do I go? And in the process of writing, I suddenly thought about it and thinking, actually, I don't like doing that. I mean, I try it out sort of, you know. I do have some nice heels and I'm pretty good at it. Question, but I don't – It's my life is not like that. And I, you know, paint my fingernails but then – Two days in the garden and I have – so I now I call them deconstructed nails. Every sort of three months I paint them and then f- watch them disintegrate.
0: I did notice, are they the trans flag colours today?
1: Yeah, I didn't know that until yeah. I'd done it. Yeah. Oh, now yeah. I do know Very it. so nice. yeah. <laughs>
0: You you make it clear to readers that this book is just the telling of your transition, your own individual experience with its own truths. You never claim to speak on behalf of the trans community. You don't need to be a role model. You don't owe anyone that. But at the same time, by coming out publicly beyond your family and friends, writing, faking it, and so on, you are, if not a role model, at least providing visibility to others experiencing similar truths like children, the readers of your other books and the students at the schools you visit, was that ever a consideration in telling your story?
1: Yeah, that was one of my biggest worries, was that my career would... Well, not only my career, I feel like... Cause I'm, I'm, my picture books are one thing, but I've made an actual um, lot of impact, I think, with my junior fiction, because I've, I've got more um, emails from mothers who have said it's the first story their boys have read. They've had reluctant reader boys and they would read it and they would got into it and then they would read and one of them from um, Southland, she wrote me saying it's the first book and then a year later she wrote, she's so proud her son got a literacy award at school and he was like a totally non-reading boy and I was really worried about that, that coming out, how that would impact on... Boys, especially, because, you know, I've been hold, held up as a role model. <laughs> I think those days are gone. <laughs> and and I really enjoyed that, having a that sort of sense that I was contributing to something bigger than just my stories and my career. And I did have one mother wrote to me recently and said her son was very di- disappointed when he discovered... They checked my website and they discovered that I it was a, a woman and she had to explain to him that it wasn't didn't make any difference. And it's all and it's that's how it should be. But then you pe- but there are people looking for role models for boys and where do I fit in there now?
0: Oh, that's not what I was expecting you to say. Oh. Um <laughs> I just thought about okay. by by your very existence now publicly you mm. you'd, you 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 as a child the examples of anything resembling a trans person were very problematic examples that you didn't connect with you know it was laughing and pointing at the guy in a dress right like and and that sort of thing and you not being you know imagine imagine young Kyle having you as an example yeah. And I just think that I, I don't know if you remember, but when you first came out on Facebook, I sent you a message saying that I think thank you so much for doing this because I think you might actually save a life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's where I was going with that. Yeah, I
1: mean, be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I failed an interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is that uh, it is that thing about we've had lots of discussions, Murray and I, about. Um, my first performances after I after I came out, and she said, "You should tell them, the kids, you should explain it." And I was thinking, "But I'm going there as a writer, and if they want me to come as a trans person to talk about gender, that's fine. I'll talk to them. I've been to a couple of rainbow groups in schools, but I, as if as you ask me as a writer, then you come. I come along as a writer, and and." I've got a, you know, a performance that I do for young kids and it's, I've done it a thousand times. It gets a laugh, it's always fun. And we had that discussion as well because it's like I walk around and wave my arms around and, and do all sorts of things and, and Marianne said, you know, women don't do that. And I was thinking, they do now. <laughs> we did have that thing and I did that, my first performance in um, Tasmania we did that. Um, I did a reading and did my thing, and then this girl at the end of the thing was question time. And she was like, "You've got me. You've had me confused all morning." I said, "Really? Why?" And she said, "Why did you wear? Why did you choose to wear what you're wearing? You look like a woman and sound like a man." And the teacher then said, "Shut up!" and pulled her off. <laughs> and then, um, and then when I was signing books, she got dragged along, and the girl was blubbering, lips going, <laughs> had to apologise to me, and. Um, and the and the teacher said, well, it wasn't that she was the question she was asking, but that she was insistent and kept not taking no for an answer. But and Marian said, you should have told. You should have. And I said, well, but I was right. I was a writer doing my writing thing. Do I stop the performance and then go for 10, 15 minutes about something which is not relevant? And I feel like my my b- biggest accomplishment or is to. This is totally normal. I go in the schools and go. Hey, guys, I've written books. Here I am. I'm not trying to disguise anything. I am who I am and you can take me or leave me. And I think that's a bigger impact than making a big deal of it. If they like my books, then their favourite writer is me. So what am I going to do?
0: Is that where you wanted me to go? Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, Transitioning for you was also about learning to be vulnerable, part of which meant throwing off the shackles of masculinity and the tough guy act of not crying and expressing emotions with fists, which had warped your friendships, that's your words, um, for decades. You write about hosting your first dinner party as a woman and the conversations with other women as a peer. For the first time in my life, I felt connected. I felt the strings of connectedness winding a little closer. Can you tell us more about this moment and that feeling?
1: Um, yeah, we've got some, some good friends and they came over. And, but it would always be, you go over here. You know, you sit down at the table and the women would be here and I'd sit here and blokes would be up that end and be like, oh, you shuffle along, we're talking about stuff and that's just that moment we had when i we we had a few friends over and we went down to our deck on near the creek the lovely deck beside the creek with the trap door and you walk down um it's really lovely <laughs> and she and they were there and the two guys were walking in the front talking about something and um and they're nice guys they're really you know they're educated they're funny they're lovely guys but every time i was with them there's always this Think they were talking about stuff which is all quite um esoteric almost like talking about stuff in a disconnected way that it wasn't there was no I never got a sense of who they were on an emotional level or um they'd never talk about what was really happening, they'd always be you know slightly ethereal about it all, and so then we went down and they walked ahead and walked to the end of the deck and stood there with the beers and and then the women, our women friends, sat down with champagne, and and I sat down. It was just that whole sitting down in a group, and it was just flowed about all sorts of stuff. I'm not saying that it's um, if you're a real guy that that's a bad thing. That relationship is probably goes differently than when I'm there. Maybe I was the problem, <laughs> and just that connected, you feel like you're just a deeper level somehow. I mean, they weren't guys who talk about rugby either. They were talking about what was happening. It's all about what happens. What's how is your day? What's happening in your life? Tell me about it. How are you fixing it? What is happening? Who's doing what to who? And not about yourself. It's not coming from. It's all about somehow about look them looking out rather than looking in somehow. It's hard to explain. I'm new at this woman game, so. <laughs> You've got lots of experience. And so, of course, I talk about this to... And some women, they go, well, we don't have it any different or easier. And sort of from the outside, you always imagine that, you know, that women have all these, you know, like TV relationships where they're all, like, very close and share everything. And, and it's probably not like that. So I'm not sure. I haven't really... And I keep even now sort of... some. Um, I do feel like I'm still disconnected somehow... And it's not. I'm not sure whether it's me or whether it's just how relationships are. You know, who has really, really close friends? How many close friends do you have? You always imagine you looked at women and they, from the outside, and you feel like they've all got these really close relationships that go on forever, and and yet probably it's not like that. You probably got one or two good friends, and that's probably. And I've got Marion, and that's probably enough.
0: This conversation is actually the first time we've met in person before even though we've both been involved with the children's lit world for years. Um, And my impression of you has always been that you were super confident, fun, popular. um, And so reading your book, where you describe yourself constantly as being shy Mm. and sort of not sure how to make friends and being shy, um, especially in your younger years, but through your 20s, it Mm. seems as well... um, as another shy girl, this interests me greatly. How is your shyness now?
1: Um, I, I discovered early on that performing is—it's um, a performance for a start, so you disconnect yourself almost. And I felt um, I—if I move, sitting down is terrible. So with children's stuff, I always—I discovered that if I move, I'm just shaking off all my adrenaline, and I'm just constantly just moving around. As soon as I sit down, I'm. ...a lot more nervous. But um, I, my, my first performance ever... ...I went to Duffy's Books in Homes thing... ...and I went there thinking, okay, I had all of that... ...and I literally had my mouth was dry and I was shaking. And I got over that and I got a couple of laughs. I thought, okay, that's not too bad. Do, did another one. I'm confident in my performance now. And I can go out there and do my performance. And then it's... Um, but I'm still not, I'm not someone who looks for the spotlight even though you have to, in a way, to make a living, you've got to sort of do that stuff. So I force myself to learn how to um, perform.
0: Yeah, that um, tension between the act of being a writer, which is so solitary and perfect for introverts, and then having to get out and sell your wares (laughs) on stage and and so on. Um, So Um, you've, you've managed it.
1: Yeah, I mean, children are easy. I mean, you go out there and think they're children, what can you do? So I was just an idiot and jumped around and did stuff. And then you just ignore the teachers in the back looking, going, looking sternly at you. (laughs)
0: Um, I'm just going to throw in probably quite a difficult question. I read up on you. And there was one interview with Express, I think, um, where you mentioned that you intentionally wrote Faking It for a cis audience, Mm -hmm. for which I thank you. But what does this mean? Are there things you would have written differently if writing for a primarily trans audience?
1: That's a good question. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like my role maybe is to, you know, I don't take it seriously. I don't take myself seriously, and yet I take my writing seriously. I take lots of I take the world seriously, but not myself. And I feel feel like um, I've read some trans bio, um, autobiographies, and it's um it's very sort of insular. It sort of gets too introverted. And I felt like um best my best approach was to write like a novel, and my reader was you know a certain type of person who may be interested in this subject, and and so it's very novelistic almost. Um, and I didn't get in. I wanted to explain stuff in a way in a contextual way I didn't want to didn't want to get too introverted about it all and just go on about stuff which is not important. I don't know I mean it's trans people have read my book and enjoyed it so'm not sure what I would have done differently, but it is for it's about opening up the notion and people can it's you i often find that the trans the politics of transness is getting quite um, defensive and quite sh- shutting down um, channels rather than opening up and I feel like I'm just, you know, this is not easy for people and I understand because I come from this world and all my relatives, you know, they're still so hard. So um, they've they're been very accepting but they're not really, um, they accept me but that hasn't opened them up to LGBT stuff. They're still not um accepting of the wider, deeper issues around, you know, being um queer. They've they've accepted me because uh, they know me. And I always think about my grandfather who was like um a passive racist in terms of he would be like, you know, the bloody abos and the bloody wogs and the damn. And but if he found someone on the street who'd fallen over. He'd pick him up, take him home, feed him, give him some food, I mean, um, get something to drink, give him a coat off his back, make sure he's all right and he'd be like, you know, I didn't think he liked Aborigines. He'd be like, oh, no, this is John, you know, he's a good guy. And, be that sort of, and I feel like that's sort of we have to open up the dialogue in terms of, you know, I, I still have people missing up my pronouns constantly and I could take it like some people get quite offended about it and I think it's not easy. I, I understand that, and so I'm trying to say, well, you know, let's approach it and have a laugh about it. It's all just—it's all just life. It's not something to get all tense and angry about.
0: I, and I think the acceptance you've had from your family and friends who may not suddenly be super woke mm. <laughs> with anything beyond accepting you. Yeah. That realistically is – that's the acceptance that you need and want mm. more than anything because that is what saves lives and, you know, acceptance from mm. your closest people. Yep. My nan – I just have to share this. My nan, who's 90-something, um, a young trans member of our family, and it was a whole big thing, my nan at 94 said – Better to accept them than to lose them. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm just like you nailed it, man. Yeah,
1: totally. <laughs>
0: that's it. You know, that's as simple and as profound as that. That's yeah. that's the whole thing. Yeah,
1: and just that personal acceptance means you then at least allow the opportunity and the possibility that these people, at least, uh, it's within their consciousness now that these things exist, and they may not be. Um, They're so not it, the big bad anymore no. because
0: it's you. Yeah. You're not the big bad. Yeah. yeah. What would you tell young Kyle if you met her now?
1: Um, that's a difficult question. Um, because on the one hand I think I really love my life and a lot of my life wouldn't have happened had I, if I went back and told young me that don't worry, you know, be brave, do it, it's not going to be the end of the world. But then I would, wouldn't have Marion for a start. So there's all this stuff which I would lose if we went back sort of, you know, back to the future type thing and, you know, these people would be fading out. There'd be Marian fading out of my picture and be like, what am I doing? So it's a difficult question. So, I mean, it's all, I mean, if I was now and someone like me, then it would be like, um, you know, don't take it seriously. I'd just say, you know, just, you know, the first, first hurdle is actually just accepting yourself. That took me probably 40 years to actually say, well, it's not my, not my fault. You know, there's all, it's all this loaded language which you can't help sort of mentioning. But it's like, it's not my fault. I shouldn't be ashamed. I am who I am. And here I am. So it's about sort of like, um, but don't take it seriously. and Because uh, yeah, people say, you know, sh- should you have done it earlier? And you think, well, everyone's got their time. And I, I would never say to a trans person, you should do it we've got some um couple of trans people we know who are on the on the border and thinking should they or shouldn't and one has decided actually she wants to have a baby first with some find someone to have a baby with and I'm thinking really but and it's all this thing about you know take your time life will tell you when it's time or not and if you don't then if you can accept yourself and try to be more closer to your real self which is what I was trying to do for years as well I mean, in New Zealand, when you have that sort of, uh, you know, I'd have a glass of rosé and my friend would come over and say, oh, you're showing your feminine side, are you? It's wine. (laughs) But that's how tense some people are about this notions of masculinity. And so I would just say just, yeah, just relax and go into it with a bit of sense of humour. Otherwise, you just get tense and angry. Last question.
0: What is next for Kyle Mewburn?
1: Before I wrote for children, I spent seven years writing for adults. And I wrote three novels and a non-fiction bit and a thing about building my house. um, My first memoir attempt. And um, my third novel was a historic novel set in Miller's flat, in fictional Miller's flat in the 20s, 30s. It got a London agent, went to London Book Fair and nobody wanted it eventually. And I've had this in the back for 20 years now. And um, just six months ago I sent it to my agent. She showed it to a couple of publishers and now Bateman's going to publish it in 2023. So almost 20 years to the day since um, it was finished it's going to come out.
0: That's not your gender
1: satire? No, that my gender oh, no, it's satire is still... not mo- your gender satire? No, it's still what? sitting there. It's not really good at the moment. <laughs> 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 I can't figure out what's wrong with it, but I will eventually... I've got three novels.
0: <laughs> and children's books?
1: Children's books. I've got a picture book coming out next year, my first one in six years. I've gone flat. My career is kamikaze, <laughs> And um, yeah, I haven't really had anything accepted for s- seven years, really. So I've got my first picture book coming out next year and I may have another one in the wings.
0: All you needed to do was transition and write about it and look at you now <laughs> on stage at a festival. I know. I'm at first
1: festivals. Ooh.
0: Um, that brings us to the end of our time thank you so much for sharing your story Kyle and thanks to all of you for coming out to this event this afternoon please give a final round of applause for Kyle thank you so much for joining us